introduced me, nobody cares. Get treated like garbage around this church. Yes, 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 thank you, thank you. Much better, much better. Okay, now I feel all right. Now I have some confidence. I told somebody at the pre-service prayer group, um, I told them that I got my CPAP machine. Now I'm sleeping properly through the night. And this crazy thing has happened. I've become clear-headed, but I've also become... All my boundaries have disappeared. Thresholds are all gone. I could say anything at any time. It could be utterly embarrassing. But entertaining, too. So it gives you another reason to come to church because you never know what's going to happen next. Anyway, this message is called Life Under the New Deal. And it developed this way. Do you remember several Sundays ago, Dennis McNally spoke to us and he talked about being in a posture of receiving, being in the position of receiving from God. It was a really good message and it it stirred me up and got me thinking a lot. And what he said was that, well, where he started in positioning ourselves to receive more from God, he described life under grace. He said that whatever we receive from God, it's not because we earned it. It's not because we're good or wonderful people. We don't receive God's blessing or more of him because we're good. We receive it because he's good. And then Josh, uh, last Sunday, which I thought was just a brilliant sermon, the illustration was fabulous. Do you remember the two umbrellas? The one, if you weren't here, the one with just the frame, and that was life under law? It's just the framework, it's the structure, but there's no fabric to protect you from the storms that come. And the storms that come in a life lived under law, a legalistic Christianity, the storm that comes is shame. It's a reign of shame. Because under the law, living uh, up to a, (laughs) a, trying to live up to an impossible standard, ends up resulting in shame. So that fabric of grace is what protects us from that shame. A few weeks ago, I taught, and, and I said something about this. I, said it, I put it this way. I said, God doesn't make deals with us. He gives free gifts. That's life under grace. He doesn't, he doesn't make deals. It's not transactional. It's relational. He gives us free gifts. And I also said that Satan doesn't give free gifts. He always demands something in, in exchange for what he gives. You know, pleasure has its... Sin is, sin is pleasurable. There's pleasure that comes with sin. He gives you something, but that something costs you everything. So God doesn't make deals. God gives gifts. Satan never gives free gifts. He always makes deals. And I went on to say that in the kingdom of God, the operating system is relational, not transactional. It doesn't function through deals. It functions through relationship. Everything happens through our relationship with God. And that relationship is based on His love, which is not based on our performance. Well, I really like this church because people aren't afraid to speak their minds. And if they think I made a mistake, they'll tell me. So someone had a criticism from that message, and it was a really, really good criticism. And they said that well, wait a minute, Mark. God makes deals all the time. In the Old Testament, he was making deals all the time. And he gave Israel laws to follow. 
And you've been telling us that we don't live under law, we live under grace. And yet in the Old Testament, God made deals all the time and he gave Israel the law. So, so this person said, so therefore the operating system of the kingdom of God is legal and it is transactional, not relational. He blessed them, and this is the truth, he blessed them when they were good and he punished them when they were bad. Right? That's the Old Testament. Remember? Israel was always stumbling around doing something really dumb, really disobedient, and they ended up paying for it. And that was true in the Old Testament. But here's the real question, and this is how I answered that criticism. I grant all that, but the real question is this. Why did he give them the law and relate to them through a legal system? Was this his first choice for an operating system in his relationship with his people? Now, here's the fact, and this changes everything. The only reason that God gave Israel the law was because they rejected a personal relationship with him. At Mount Sinai, God took Moses aside and he said, Moses, tell the people that I'm coming in three days. Isn't that interesting? Three days. Remember Jesus? Three days, resurrection. I'm coming in three days and I'm going to show myself. The the actual word he used is show myself. I'm going to reveal myself to my people. Now this was interesting because it answered a prayer that Moses had. Moses prayed and said, God, I long that someday you would relate to the people the way you relate to me, face to face. In fact, he even prophesied, someday there's one coming who, who will be like me, a prophet, but he will reveal God to you. So Moses had a longing that the people could know God the way he knew God. So when God said, tell the people I'm coming in the sight of all the people, I'm going to reveal myself to them, Moses was thrilled. This is it. This is is what I've been longing for. They're going to know God like I know God. And you remember the story, don't you? How does God advance his coming presence? Well, we have a fire in the sky, trembling, lightning, thunder, smoke. And the people are absolutely terrified. See, God hasn't even revealed himself yet. He's just advertised his coming with this overwhelming power, this this incredible majesty and power. And the people did the math and said, whoa, if this is what his advertising looks like, I'm not sure I'm ready for the real thing. And they went to Moses and they said, tell God to stop this. We don't want God. We want you. We don't want to hear from God. We want you. You talk to us. And they rejected God's overture of relationship with them. Now, it's very interesting. When you read Exodus 19 to 21, it it will appear in the narrative, the way Moses wrote it, it will appear as if God gave them the law and then they rejected him. But actually, it's the other way around. And if you want to know how this works, it's a little bit... I don't have time to go into it this morning. Get my book, Is God Religious? If not, why are we? Get that book. I go into it in great detail in that book, proving to you that the narrative goes like this. They rejected God, and then he gave them the law. And that's the way it worked. When you reject God, a relationship with God, his holiness doesn't disappear. 
His holiness remains. And the law is a perfect expression of His holiness. Now you're under it. Now you're under the requirements of His holiness. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Israel never achieved any holiness under the law, and no one has ever achieved holiness under the law. And Paul says the law does not bring holiness. It essentially brings condemnation. All the law is good for is revealing... I got it written down here. I love this line. Jumping ahead, sorry, but... The law doesn't produce holiness. It just reveals its absence. And that's just the truth. Flat out the truth. All the law accomplishes is condemnation and punishment because the law is perfect and we are not. Period. And the same thing that happened to Israel happens to us today when we choose to step out of an operating system of relationship with God into an operating system of rules, rituals, traditions, and regulations. We come under the curse of the law. It starts to condemn us and says, you're just not good enough. Now, I've used this illustration before, but there's some new people here, and I think you'll like it. When was... You're driving down the street, okay, in your car, and to the best of your knowledge, you're obeying all the traffic rules. And you see the light in your rearview mirror. And you think, oh no, some poor fool's about to get pulled over by the police. Oh, I'm sure glad I'm not him. And then the car pulls up and says, pull over, and you pull over. And you're thinking, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And you're feeling, you're already feeling the condemnation, and the police officer hasn't said anything yet. And he walks up, and you roll down your window. And he says, you know why I pulled you over, don't you? And you go, no, no, but I know I'm guilty. <laughs> go ahead, give me the ticket. And he goes, I just pulled you over because I love your driving. I got to tell you, that lane change you made two blocks ago, incredible. He said, you know, on the way you, you were looking in the rearview mirror, unbelievable. He said, I just want to shake your hand. But it's COVID, so we'll do this instead. You know, like, has that happened to you? No. Will it ever happen to you? No. The law does not encourage you. The law condemns you. When you choose to live a legalistic Christianity, you come under the law whether you recognize it or not, and it becomes a faith of do more, try harder. And the problem with that is it is an incline on a treadmill that just keeps getting steeper and it moves faster. Until finally you say, I can't take this anymore. And you begin to give up. God didn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for anybody. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Israel suffered under it so that we don't have to. Hello? Israel was the lab test, does it work life under the law? Answer, no. That was proven to us, so we don't have to. Why don't we have to? Because God made a new deal. There was the old deal, and that was made at Mount Sinai. Then there's the new deal. What's the new deal about? Well, it's the new covenant. He calls it the new covenant, but it's a new deal. And it came with Jesus. And Jesus came as our King and as our Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. Finally, God's going to be personal. 
Can you imagine what it was like to know Jesus? This is one of the reasons we're going to watch The Chosen in my group. is because we have, we have theological constructs of Jesus like he wasn't a real person. You know, he was just some kind of perfectly perfect God guy, but he wasn't really all that human. I want to make him human too. Can you imagine what it was like in those days to walk up and look into the eyes of Jesus and see perfect love looking back at you? Perfect love. Not a shred of condemnation. Not a shred of judgment. So much so, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I don't come in the role of condemnation, and I do not come as a judge, and I'm not here to enforce law. I'm here to save you from it, and I'm going to give you a new operating system. It's going to be relational. And when you look at him, you're looking into the eyes of perfect love. And you get to hug God. You get to walk up, and hug God, and God hugs you back. Is that a better deal than the old deal? That's what God intended all along. And it's so interesting to me. See, Jesus came, he's the king. You get it? He's the king. He's human, and he's lovable, and he's, he's, he's huggable and all that, but he's the king. He's God. And he comes as the king and he has, listen, he has every right to rule over us as the king and as master with us, his servants. Do you understand that? He has every right to do that. It only follows. He's the king. We're his subjects. We're his servants. And this is what we should expect. We should expect a transactional operating system. He's the king. What he says goes. Just do what you're told. But is that how he chose to treat us? I no longer... Listen. This is him talking to his friends. Listen. I no longer call you servants. Servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father I've made known to you. You're not servants anymore. You're friends. Do you understand what he just did? In that moment, what he just did, he changed everything. He changed your identity. You don't work for me. You work with me. It's a family business. You are my friend. I'm going to relate to you as a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. How well do you know him as friend? This is how Jesus responded to the new deal. This is how he lived the new deal. He turned servants into friends. How does God respond? How does the Father? I just gave it away. I shouldn't have said that, should I? What a mistake. I should have said, how does God Almighty, how does the creator of the universe, how does the king of kings, how does the master of the universe, how is God the self-existent being, eternal, perfectly holy, all-powerful, how does he respond to the new deal? He's the creator of the universe. He is the only self-existent being that has ever lived. Nothing was before him. He's eternal. 
From him comes everything. When you look outside, all the color, all the texture, all the plants, everything comes from him. He had a thought and it turned into existence. He had an idea and it became substance. You cannot over-exaggerate his majesty or his holiness. He is otherly. He is completely extraordinary. He is completely outside our ability to under understand him unless he finds a more intimate way of relating to us. See what great love the... Say it. See what great love the Father... See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called His children. Oh man, come on guys. Jesus took a step. He took you from servant to friend. And God's taking you from creature to child. He's not just your creator. He's your Father. He's your Father. And that is what we are. Look at the love that the Father's lavished on us that we should be called His children. Children of God. And that's what we are. He has every right to relate to us as Master, Creator of the universe, the self-existent One. But that's not the role He chooses. That's not the way He chooses to express Himself. And He doesn't say, I'm your master, so you have to obey me perfectly and I'll reward you in accordance with your obedience. Ours will be a transactional relationship. You obey me with 10 units of obedience and I will give you 10 units of blessing. That's not how he relates to us. He chooses the role of loving father. An operating system of making gifts rather than deals. Guys, if this doesn't rock your world, what I'm saying right now, you don't really understand him or you don't really know him. Sorry for the insult, but this is the truth. If this doesn't warm your heart in some strange way, you don't get him. You don't understand him. This is what makes our faith unique. You need to understand this. Take a comparative religions class. I had dinner with a witch. I had dinner with the witch and a whole bunch of other people back a long time ago. And we got to talking about Christianity and we got to talking about world religions. And you know what the witch said? She said, oh no, Christianity is completely different. It's not like any other religion. And everyone looked at her and I thought, this will be interesting. I said, what's the difference? She said, oh, that's, it's easy. It's grace. She said, Christianity is the only, only world religion based on grace. All the rest are transactional. You live in fear of your, of your God and you do what you're told. And you expect punishment. She said, oh, no, Christianity is different. It has grace. Out of the mouth of a witch comes profound understanding of what makes our faith different from all the others. He calls us, you are my child, I'm your father, and you're my friends. 
why does he value relationships? Why has he chosen a relational system rather than a transactional system? Because he is a relationship. I've taught this a thousand times, but there's some new people here. How many is our God? Three. Our God is... Oh, wait a minute. Seriously? He's three. If he wanted to be more than one... See, the problem God has is he, he said... In the Old Testament, he defined himself. It was like this is horrible. Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? And God gave Moses a really helpful answer. Tell Pharaoh, I am that I am, sent you. (laughs) Moses is like, thanks. That's very helpful. I'll just tell Pharaoh, I am that I am, sent me. Tricky. New Testament, God defines himself in three words. Three words. What is it? He defined himself in three words. God. God. God is. God is. God is love. God is love. Anybody in the world can understand that. God is love. But if you're going to be love, how many do you have to be? You have to be at least two. Got to be at least two. Love. I love you, you love me, the love goes back and forth between us. That's love. Now, what human institution would capture the, the essence of God perfectly in two beings? Marriage. Phil and Christina's group. Well, not their marriage. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Christina's going, no, no. God could have been two. He could have just simply been the Father in Jesus or the Father in His Holy Spirit. He could have been two and it would have accomplished Him being love. But He didn't. He's three. What human institution does that look like? It's a family. Our God, quintessentially boiled down into the core of His nature, our God is a family. Isn't that the coolest thing? And here's the cool thing about a family. How many kids can you have and still be a family? (laughs) No. You can have billions of kids and still be a family. All you got to do is have a bigger table at Thanksgiving. You know, and buffet style rather than family style. A family can grow in size with more children and it's still a family. Our God is a family. He's a relationship. He He doesn't value relationship. He is a relationship. And he's inviting you into that relationship as a child in his family as deeply loved as his first son. Loved in the same way as he loves Jesus, he loves you. Don't have time to do the proof text on that, but that's another message, but it's true. This is how he loves us. This is the wonder of him. Now, this is, what some, this is a question some people have asked when I've taught this, and it's a logical question, and I hope some of you have thought of it. 
Does this mean our behavior doesn't matter because He loves us this way? Does this mean our behavior doesn't matter because He loves us unconditionally? Does this mean that since we're under grace, not under the law, that I can do whatever I want and it, I, and it doesn't affect His love for me? Boy, that sounds like a good deal. I'm so loved I can go out and do everything that makes Him sick, but He still has to keep on loving me because that's who He is. Now, there's two truths that answer this question. Two truths. The first is this, and this is a wonderful thing, my friends. This is, brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful thing. There is nothing you can do to stop Him loving you. Nothing. Because His love doesn't depend on you, it's who He is. You cannot drive His love away from you. You didn't get it because you were good and you won't prevent it by being bad. He loves because he is love. That's the first truth. Now here's the second one. You can't stop him from loving you, but your behavior does change your experience of his love. It does. Your behavior will change your experience of his love. This is what Dennis was talking about, about positioning ourselves for more of God. The position we take will either increase our experience of his love or decrease our experience of his love. It doesn't change his love, but it changes what we experience. Positioning ourselves properly to receive more of God is vitally important to our joy, to our experience of him. Let me give you an example. It's so easy. Gentlemen, where are you more likely to experience more of God's love, presence, and blessings? At a church men's meeting with Matt or at a strip club? Yeah, thank you for the... You know, you people are as sharp as a beach ball. Somebody finally got it. Uh, at, your, at the men's meeting? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Good, let's keep moving forward. Okay, I, ju- I just dissed... I just dissed the men. Now I'll diss the women. Where are you more likely to experience more of God's love, presence, blessings, etc.? Reading the Bible or surfing on Facebook? See, more women get the answer right than the bonehead men. It was a trick question. It wasn't a tricky question. Francisco, you worry me something fierce. I pray for you every day and it isn't making any difference at all. Look at you. Where is it easier to become conscious of God's presence? At at worship, at church, or at a shopping mall? Thank you. Worship at church. So here's the bottom line. When we make a habit, because God works relationally, because the kingdom is a relational kingdom, we must cherish and protect and nurture that relationship like we would a brand new baby brought into our home. One of the things God showed me one time is he showed me that I was thinking about Christmas and I was doing a meditation. This is, this is an interesting story. I was doing a meditation, working through the Bible in the life of Jesus with my imagination, uh, imagining um, uh, his birth and then right through to his, to his death and resurrection. It was a powerful year spent in the Bible with my imagination, being in the scene. 
And in, in the birth of Jesus, I was, in my mind, I was the young boy whose father ran the inn. And I'm about four or five years old. And this couple comes late at night and they need a place to stay. And my father doesn't have any place for them in our house. But he has a stable out back. So he said they could go and they could stay in the stable. So I snuck out of bed. I was disobedient. I snuck out and I went into the stable to watch and I saw the baby being born. At a distance. And then Mary saw me and she said, do you want to hold the baby? And I said, yes. So I came over and she put Jesus in my arms as a baby. I'm a kid and I'm holding him. And it was a really sweet moment. All of a sudden, I'm not the kid anymore. I'm me, an adult. And all of a sudden, I realized this. I think it was the Holy Spirit. He said, my presence in you is as fragile as that baby in a child's arms. And you need to nurture the relationship you have with me as much as you would nurture that baby. I don't want to get totally theological with you, but the parable of the seeds strewn, some on the path, some on the rocky soil, some on good soil, that parable is telling us that the growth of the kingdom within us is not automatic. It requires some cooperation and welcome. And the cares and the deceitfulness of wealth and the wiliness of the devil come to pluck the seed off the path and remove it, and that can happen. Because it's a relationship, we have to treat it like a relationship. We have to give it a priority. We need to spend time with him. We need to be with him, to listen to him, and let him listen to us. We need to treat it like a relationship. Our faith is a relationship, not a religion. So let's just super, super simplify the whole thing and just treat it like a relationship. Spend time with him. Ask him questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? You know, it's one of the nicest questions you can ask. Father, tell me what you like about me. You know, we all know he has to love us because he's a relationship of love and it, he's always loving, but he may not always like us. <laughs> so I said, tell, tell, me, tell me what you like about me and tell me what you don't like about me. And we had a conversation about that. It was wonderful. God, tell me what you like. What do you like to do? How do you like to spend time with me, with your kids? What do you value? Treat it like a relationship. Believe he's going to communicate to you. He's going to talk to you. Not out loud, not in an audible voice, but he'll drop his thoughts into your mind. He'll show you images in your mind's eye of what he's like, what he wants to do. Just treat it like a relationship. Because it is. Because he's a relationship. Regular time. And when he tells you to do something, as harebrained as it might be, just go do it. Unless it's sin, then it wasn't him talking. But if it's not sin and all it is is merely awkward, embarrassing, or inconvenient, that's probably him. Go try it. Go do it. 
And you'll find yourself experiencing more and more and more of him in your life. And you'll find yourself experiencing more of his love in your life. And the identity of child rather than servant will become real to you. And that's the greatest joy of knowing him. Knowing him as father and friend. Okay? Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about how this relational operating system affects our relationships with others and how do connect groups fit into that. Okay, this is weird, but a thought just crossed my mind. Any questions coming up out of what I just taught? Anything not making sense or or, or any questions for anybody? Oh, temptation? That's a good question. I asked uh, the wisest person I know, how do you deal with temptation? And she said a very interesting thing that I've used ever since she said it, and it saved me a lot of times. And this is really cool. She said, every single temptation is based on a lie. Every single temptation has as its basis a lie. And she said, once you recognize the lie, the temptation doesn't have power anymore. As soon as you recognize the lie, it doesn't have power anymore, instantly. I'll give you an example. Um, I'll be happier if I have an affair. If I, I'll be happier as a man if I have an affair, if I cheat on my wife. Okay? That's, that's why guys go and have affairs, because they think they'll be happier if they do it. Is that a lie? They may be happier for a, a, a little while. Sin always has its pleasure, but it kills you in the end. If I lie at the office, things will go better for me. It's better just to, you know, sometimes you just have to lie. That's a lie. Find the lie in the temptation. And, and my practice now is I'll be tempted with something and most of the time I get the lie right away because I'm used to doing it. But if not, just ask the Lord, say, what's the lie in this temptation? In fact, get into the practice. Every time you're tempted to have a, an evil thought or to do something wrong, just pause and say, Father, what's the lie in this temptation? And believe me, he'll reveal it. And it goes away just like that. Is that, is that helpful? Chris. Oh, I mean procrastination? Give me, flesh that question out a little bit. What, give me an example. Okay, that's really good. I do that every morning. <laughs> no, I do. I mean, I'm, I've always got a problem on the internet, or you know, I got I got my Gmail. I got things going on that are horrible, and um, I need to attend to it. And that cross that thought crosses my mind every single time. I have noticed something very interesting. Uh, it, then I never have my quiet time. I'll do it at eleven. No, I usually don't. I don't. I go through the day without having my quiet time. Then I pay the price for that. You know, Shelly, 
my wife, that beautiful woman up on the screen, <laughs> one of the most convicting things she'll say to me partway through the day, she'll say, uh, you didn't have your quiet time this morning, did you? <laughs> no. Oh, really bad, really bad. No. And she'll say, why don't you go have it? Oh, okay, right now. And then I have my quiet time with the Lord and I come back and she goes, you're different. I think you're a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, I am right now. Yeah, for a while. Until I screw up again. So, I, I, you know, my habit is if I don't do it when I first think of it, I probably am not going to do it at all. So we got to nip that in the bud, right? We just got to say, and we, this is really helpful to those of you who are getting older. These days, at this age, the minute I think of something, I go do it. Because I know I'm going to forget within 30 or 40 seconds and then not do it at all. So when you get that first impulse to be with the Lord, just go be with the Lord. Just put everything else aside and say, I'm just going to go be with the Lord right now. Because otherwise, you're not going to do it. We just got to get that in our head. If I put this off, it's not going to happen. Do it now. And when God prompts you to do something, any little gesture of love, any good thing, don't put it off. Just do it now. The longer you think about it, the more you'll be afraid of doing it. The more your brain, the dark side, will give you all these reasons why it's a dumb idea. It was from God, or it might be from God. Therefore, just go and do it. Unless it's clear sin, just go and do it. See what happens. You're, You're exercising the obedience muscle. The response muscle. Being responsible is being response-ive. Be responsive to the prompting immediately. You'll live a life of responsibility. Okay, anything else? Any other question? Yeah. Amen. You guys, so see, see Carol in, illustrated something really, really good about this. Um, when we use the phrase, I have to do my prayers, that's the law. That's turning a relationship into an obligation. That's really sick. It would be like saying, today I have to do my marriage. Uh, male eye roll. I have to do my marriage. No, I get to be with my wife. I'm not doing my marriage, okay? And I get the same thing, Carol. I'll, I'll, I'll turn my relationship with God into a religion by saying, now I got to do my prayers. And when I find myself doing that, my response is often, wait a minute, has God changed? Is he somehow not a person I like to be with? I liked being with him yesterday. It was really peaceful. It was wonderful. What today has changed about God that I would not want to be with him today? Then I realize he didn't change. I changed. Now I need to change back to what I was yesterday. We've got to get in the habit of realizing this is a relationship, not a performance duty. 
Being with God is a joy. If being, not, if being with God is not a joy, I have misunderstood the nature of God. And I need to re-educate myself in that moment. God is someone who's really wonderful to be with, not some obligate, not, not the weird uncle from Ramona, you know, with a friggin' cowboy hat. And Sorry, some of you are from Ramona. Josh, I'm sorry. Ramona. He's not the weird uncle that's an embarrassment and a bummer and he always tells the same stories over and over and over about his years in the military or something like that. He's not like that. He's interesting. He's, 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 he's wild at heart. He's adventurous. He has a sense of humor. He's worth being with. He's exciting. He's interesting. He's the most interesting being in the universe. Talk about experiences. Tell me the story again with Moses. Well, you know, it was like this. Moses... He's interesting. And he guess, guess what else he is? He's fun. He has a sense of humor. Get to think of him as a person and it's a relationship and don't accept thoughts that try to talk you out of that. Okay? Yes. Maybe you should come up and say this in the microphone. You're preaching better than me and it bugs me, but I have to honor it and admit it. Go get him, Stephanie. Well, just say it again. Okay, so, so I, the way I was kind of <clears throat> trying to summarize what Mark was saying is that um, when we spend time with God, that's how we get that's how we get our mind renewed we understand what god is like how he relates with people we get his perspective on life and on our own situation and when we have god's perspective of our situation rather than our own that's how we can live on the higher level and have joy and have peace because Hmm. we understand what he's like rather than trying to come up underneath everything and feeling this heavy oppressive weight Perfect. Sense. Perfect. I was going through, had been going through some hard times and um, been seeing those hard times entirely through the lens of the hard time. And about a week ago, I said, what do you want to say to me about this situation? And this thought came very clearly. He said, uh, from now on, when you look at this situation, this problem, I want you to see it only through one lens of how much I love you. I want you to see this problem through this lens. I really love you in the middle of this situation. See this situation through the lens of my love. And guys, sounds really cheesy, but I started doing that. And I've had to remind myself, I go, no, no, this is not, this thing that's happening in the natural, my perspective on it is that God loves me like crazy and he's made a bunch of promises to me about how he's going to work this out. So I'm going to see this through that lens. And instantly the peace comes. See, the peace is the litmus test of whether you got through, whether you made contact with him. When you make contact with him, the first fruits of that contact will be peace. 
He breathed on them. He gave them peace. Not like the world gives peace. He gave them peace. He is the Prince of Peace. So you come to him a, a fragile mess, fractured and confused and rattled. Your emotions are all stirred up. And you're living in fear and you're living in whatever you're living in. But it isn't good. And you struggle and fight to get into his presence. And it takes quite a while, to be honest. It isn't instantaneous. But you keep calming down and getting still. And you keep reminding yourself that he's present for you. You're present for me right now. One of the key things my spiritual mentor taught me was, she said, you, when you come to be with God, you must come asking the question constantly, how are you here for me right now? In this moment, how are you here, Lord, how are you here for me right now? And then she said, pause and pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you and your emotions. Pay attention to the thoughts that come to your mind. Even pay attention to your physical sensations. And you will come to realize, oh, this is how you're here for me right now. And then accept him and welcome him in that way. And then rest in it. And it will pretty much always result in some kind of peace an experience of peace. Peace is the litmus test that you're making contact with them, that you're getting through. And it's hard. It's, it, sometimes the world we're living in, the troubles we're in are overwhelming. But if we will wait, how are you here for me right now? How, who do you want to be for me right now? What do you want to say to me right now? Then he will begin doing that. And as he does that, the peace will come. And you'll realize, I just made contact with God. And when I walk away from this moment, I walk away with peace, not without it. And guess what? The peace drains for the rest of the day, filling a bucket with holes in it. You are a bucket. He filled you with peace and you leak. So sometime later in the day, you might have to sit down and be with him for another 10 or 15 minutes to break through and get the peace again. Or before you go to sleep at night, you might want to break through and get the peace again. But for sure, when you wake up the next morning, go get the peace before you do anything else because you leak. And life has a way of sucking the peace right out of us. But we must come back and get it. It's a relationship. Remember, I'm sorry, guys, but this is good. Jesus told his disciples, and he told the people, I am the bread of life. You with me? I am the bread of life. What did they understand when he said that message? What was the context for that in their minds? Manna. It was a story of Moses and the children of Israel where the manna came down from heaven and... That was their bread. Now Jesus says, I'm the bread. And they all knew. He's, oh, he's drawing a reference between himself and the manna in the desert. How often did the Israelites have to go out and collect that manna? In the morning. They had to go out before the heat of the day came and melted it. They had to get it in the morning. And some of them were people. And they said to themselves, Ooh, this is hard going out and picking this up every day. I'll just get enough for the week. And what happened? It turned to maggots. The next day it was rotten. What is that telling us about our relationship with Jesus? We need him, we need him every day. We should get him as soon as we can. And you're only going to get enough for today, but you're going to get enough for today. You're going to get enough for today. Go gather from him. Get your peace. Get the peace you need for the day. Get it as soon as you can. Get as much as you can carry for the day, and that'll get you through the day. I think he did that because he knows our human nature, 
And if we could pick up enough of him to last for the week, we would, and then we wouldn't talk to him for a week. Till it's time to go shopping again and pick up a, fill your cart with the peas. And then I won't have to talk to him for another day. And we'll end up treating him like a vending machine, not like a father. So he saw to it we will be dependent upon him. And that dependence restores and continues the relationship. So we should be glad of our weakness. We should rejoice in it because that dependence keeps us coming back to him, keeps us in contact with the best, most wonderful being we could ever have in our lives. Okay? So open your hands. Blessing time. Father, I pray right now. Father, Father, I pray right now that you would bless your children with a touch of your peace. Right now, Lord, that you just touch them with your peace. And you would, you would call them to be with you. Welcome them to be with you. Excite them to be with you. And to hunger after you because you're so good. Holy Spirit, reveal the Father to us. Spirit of adoption. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of adoption. You witness at the core of our beings that we're God's well-loved children. Abba, Father, we cry out, Daddy. Make that real to us, Holy Spirit. Reveal the heart of the Father. Awaken desire not that we keep perfect rules. Awaken a desire that we know a perfect God. Awaken a desire in us. Stir up the desire in us to be with our dad, our friend, the lover of our soul, the power that fires the sun, you. Draw us to yourself, Lord. Encourage us every day when it's hard. Encourage us to come back to you. Just keep coming back to you. Always coming back to you. you 
spirit right now I just invite you to come down to the front and receive just receive just receive his love for you unlike anything that the world could provide any temporary thing can provide God loves you and he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son Jesus to pay the price for your sin and to bring you home Why don't you step out? If, if not, be blessed. Have a great week. Make sure you sign up for a connect group. Get involved. Plug in. Develop relationships, friendships, a community of those that can strengthen you and benefit from you being there as well. God bless you. Let's just worship for a few more minutes if you're willing to and want to. We're going to go deeper. <laughs> 